Hey guys, <clears throat> how's everyone doing? Yes, good. Back from camp. See a lot of tired faces. That's amazing. That's awesome. Can we turn to the person next to us and say, welcome? Welcome. Let's be, let's be welcoming, like with your eyes, everything, just the, the whole vibe. You know what I mean? Let's just be welcoming of everyone around us. Hey? Awesome. Amazing. All right. Hey, it's so amazing to hear that your camp theme was um, above and beyond. And um, Myung, um, when he came up here, he said that his realization was that going above and beyond requires for us to align with Christ. Um, today's message that I've um, prayed for and prayed about and prepared, uh, it's about that. So, uh, you know, there was a bit of prior, comp- no, there wasn't. Uh, it's the spirit, spirit working. I think it's amazing. Thank you, Myung. <laughs> Awesome. Let's all turn to our Bibles. We're reading from Acts chapter 4, verse 12 today. The title for today's message is Savior Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Savior Jesus Christ. We do this thing in Jeter, which is the youth ministry. If, If the verse is short, we read it all together. Yeah? I'm pretty sure you guys can do that as well. Yes? Top card. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Ready and read. There is no one else who has the power to save us, for there is only one name to whom God has given authority by which we must experience salvation, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, so uh, our church, Sydney Full Gospel Church, this year we have a, uh, a theme Every year, Pastor Ray, uh, he prays for a new theme. <clears throat> and then that theme kind of uh, lays the framework for what our church will focus on throughout the rest of the year. So 2023, for those of you who can read Korean, it's up there. Um, but uh, it's Ojik Pogumro, okay? Um, it means uh, only by the gospel. And so in Jira, uh, we've actually been talking a lot about the gospel. And... Um, uh, Today's uh, message as well is somewhat to do with the gospel. Um, so look, the gospel teaches us um, that Jesus saves. He is our savior. Right? I'm sure you guys have all heard this um, statement before. For anyone who's gone to church long enough. If you've even gone to church a couple of weeks, you've probably heard this before. But the gospel teaches us that Jesus saves, that he's our savior. But... Uh, while um, thinking about the gospel and meditating upon what the gospel is, a question came up in my mind, what did Jesus save us from? Right? Let's turn to the person next to us and say, what did Jesus save us from? What did Jesus save us from? Right? And uh, I thought that would be a good question to kind of uh, lay the groundworks for discussing and thinking about Jesus the Savior. Right? And I thought in order to answer this question best, we should probably return to the beginning of how everything started, right? Um, In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, okay? He called them into a relationship with God and and into governance um, over the rest of creation, okay? So it was a relationship that he was, an intimate relationship that he was inviting them into, and he was inviting them into a co-laboring or a co-governance of the earth, right? Um, The only thing that God asked of them was that they would not eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? 
That's all he asked. He said, do not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's a mouthful. He said, don't do it. Don't eat it. Time went on. Adam and Eve, they lived their lives. Right? And, uh, you know, sometimes they'd be just sitting there and they'd think about the fruit. Some days they'd be walking past the tree because they're on their way to do an errand for God or something. Right? The tree was just in the middle of the garden and many times they would pass it by. Sometimes they would think about it. Sometimes they would even be curious as to what this tree is and what the fruit is, right? But never were they convinced to actually go against what God commanded and eat that fruit, right? But one day, the serpent comes along. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, this is what he says. Can we have a look at the verse? God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat the fruit. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Okay. So they've been passing this tree. They've seen it many times. They've probably thought about it a couple times. And one day this serpent shows up. And his sales pitch for them to eat this fruit, the thing that convinced them, that got them over the line to actually commit to eating this fruit, right? That sales pitch was this. You will be like God. You'll be like God. Knowing what is good and evil. The words that convinced them to go against God was to be like God, knowing for yourself, defining for yourself, and deciding for yourself what is good and evil. Let me say that one more time. The sales pitch of the serpent was this. When you eat this, you'll be like God, knowing for yourself, defining for yourself, and deciding for yourself what is good and evil. Okay? And I want to phrase it this way. The root of all sin, I've got the slide ready. The root of all sin is simply believing that I am better than God at ruling my own life. Okay? That was the temptation. That was the temptation that the serpent gave. Right? Essentially, if you have a look at it, right? If you have a look at it, eating the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, defining for yourself, determining for yourself, deciding for yourself, making a list for yourself, this is good and this is evil. Right? In other words, becoming the ruler of your own life and saying in in doing so that I am a better ruler at my own life than God is. That is the root of all sin. I remember when I was in primary school. Um, there was a, a very weird teacher. Um, weird um, because he used to say a lot of stuff that didn't really make sense to me because I was like eight years old. Right? He got very theological, so it never really made sense to me. It only made sense once I got a bit older. I remember one of the lessons um, was he said, what is sin? And so some of these us students were like, oh, sin is uh, murder. And he said, yeah, okay. He said, sin is stealing. Sin is lying. Sin is this and that. And he said, Okay, I'll tell you what sin is. And he said, sin is doing whatever you want. And I was like, that's rubbish. Right? Doing whatever you want. What? How's that sin? And I come to realize now, that's what sin is. The root of all sin is believing, thinking, right? 
for myself. Thinking for myself. Determining for myself. Deciding for myself what is good for me and what is bad for me. Me making decisions. Me defining for myself what it is. And so God instructs Adam and Eve to leave his presence, to wander the earth as gods of their own lives. Okay? So he lets them live out their decision, which is, all right, you guys want to be gods of your own lives? You want to make the decision for yourself? You want to determine for yourself what is good and what is evil? Fine, have it your way. And so he lets them go to wander the earth as gods of their own lives. And they had to leave Eden because they had shown that through their action of disobedience, they wanted to decide for themselves what is best for them. Right? And so they could no, no longer reside under the lordship of God in Eden. They could no longer reside under God's lordship. Um, now, you guys have probably heard the word Lord before, if you've been to church long enough. Um, we here at Sydney Full Gospel Church, we say the Lord three times before we pray. Right? If, you're part of the, if you've been part of the Korean ministry for any time, we go, trio, trio, trio. Right? We say that word. We say that word quite often, actually. We say that word quite often. Um, uh, we say it so often that um, I feel like, to a certain degree, we've lost the meaning of what that word means. Right? Because the ancient understanding of the word Lord, right, is not just a title that was given to you by the royal family. Right? The word Lord meant master or owner of something. So if we say God is my Lord, what we're actually saying is that he is our master or he is our owner, right? The understanding of lordship back in the days, right, was if someone is my lord, I am merely a product of that person, right? Just like a refrigerator keeps my drinks cool, and if it doesn't, I refund it, right? If a servant or if, some, if I was a lord of someone and they didn't do what I told them to do, I'll get a refund because they were merely just a product, right? Adam and Eve decided by eating this fruit, knowledge of good and evil, I'm going to determine. I'm going to decide for myself. That action meant this. I no longer want you as lord. I no longer want you to make the decisions. I no longer want you to define what is good and evil in my life. I will make that decision. I will be Lord over my own life, not you. That's what it was. And so they exited the Lordship of Christ, the Lordship of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Can we have a look at it, please? When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone had sin. The sin Adam brought into the world was a life in rejection of God's lordship. Have you guys ever sat in Sunday school or at church and they say that the sin of Adam, right, we're born with the sin of Adam? Have any of you guys sat there and wondered, that's a bit, that's not fair? Am I the only one? I've always felt like that, that's, that's, that's so not fair. Adam's the one who committed the sin. Adam's the one who broke the law. Why am I paying the price? Why am I cursed with sin nature, right, for what Adam has done? 
Um, and I used to understand that sin curse as something that's uh, got nothing to do with me, right? Like, I'm not responsible for that. I've never acted like Adam. If I had a chance at Eden, I wouldn't have made that mistake. Some of us, we think like that, right? Especially when you're younger, right? Um, there's something wrong in, in thinking that way. There's something wrong in thinking that way. And the reason is this. Because we're all born into a world, the moment we're born, we're born into a world where we've lost our connection with God. Okay? What Adam and Eve did when they went against God and they said, I want to be Lord over my own life. Every other person that was born after them was born into a world where they had no connection with God from birth. Okay? They were born into a world where they weren't lords or where God wasn't a lord of their life, but they were the lords of their lives, right? We were all born into a world. And um, what am I trying to say here? <laughs> I feel like I've gone on a bit of a tangent. Yeah. Um, we were all born into a world where God would no longer be able to show us what is good and evil. A world where we would have to decide for ourselves what is good and evil. That's the true curse. Okay? That's the true curse. Some of us, we think of the curse of sin as, you know, going to hell. And you know when you watch those cartoons and you see people going to hell and there's these, there's these like red demons and they're poking these people with sticks and they're all screaming and it's fire and they're saying, it's hot, it's hot, it's hot. Right? Oftentimes when we think of hell and we think of the punishment of sin or the, the curse of sin, we get these images, right? I believe that stuff is merely a byproduct. I believe the crux of the curse, the, the main point of the curse that Adam and Eve has passed on to the rest of humanity is this, that we have to decide for ourselves what is good and evil. Now, we live in a society where it's all about me, correct? Uh, postmodernism has taught everyone that um, it's all about you. You know, decide for yourself what is your life. You know, you make the decision. You decide your future. You decide what you want to eat. There's a reason why there's 20 different restaurants in the food court, right? Like, imagine ancient, Jew, like, Jewish society. You know, you go to a food court, there'd be one thing, like shawarma, and that's it, right? But today, we've got so much choice. What does the world teach us? The, the world teaches us that, you know, it's all about you. You make the decision. You choose for yourself, and you define for yourself what is right for you, right? I say this to my Jesus students all the time. When I go to the food court, I pray. You guys ever um, committed to a restaurant and regretted it? You guys ever done that? You know, you, you go, oh, I'm so excited for lunch. And you get to the food court, and you buy something because you're like, I feel like kebabs today. And you eat the kebab, and you're like, oh, that was, oh I feel sick. I should have gone for the Chinese takeaway, right? I hate that feeling. So you know what I do when I go to the food court? I give him lordship. Now, look, I think you might find that funny. You might find that funny, but I give him lordship. I say, God, what will truly satisfy me today? You know better than anybody else. You know what my stomach needs. You know what my body requires. You know what my mind is desiring. So, Father, inform me. I was at um, Macquarie Shopping Center the other day, and I was like, I feel like Chinese takeaway. I prayed, and God said, get a halal snack. I was like, that's it. Tabuli, garlic sauce, sweet chili. 
It was amazing. It was the best lunch I had this week. The greatest curse that Adam and Eve has passed down onto us is not this hellfire, this poking and prodding. It's not this torment for the rest of eternity. That's, that's the scary part. That's merely a byproduct. The true curse is that we have to decide for ourselves with the inabilities that we have, with the weaknesses that we have, with the lack of wisdom that we possess, with the small mind that we have, with this finite body that we possess. It's deciding for yourself what to do. It's deciding for yourself what is good and evil in your own lives. That is the true curse of Adam and Eve. That fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a curse. So what did Jesus save us from? Many times we talk about Jesus. We talk about the cross on Calvary. He bled to death for our sins to justify, to pay the penalty and the price, the price of death on our behalf. We talk about this quite often. We speak of his death. When we speak of how valuable his death was. And we talk about how powerful and almighty the death of Christ was. Right? But I want us to focus on something else that Christ did. Not just his death. Jesus died to save us from the penalty of death. Why? Because in Romans it says the wages of sin is death, right? The appropriate payment for when we sin, right? The appropriate payment for when you work at Subway at the age of 16 is $15 an hour. I think, I don't know, I've never worked in Subway. But the appropriate wage, the appropriate reward for sin is death. And we were meant to pay that price of death. Right? Everyone knows this. If you don't, then good news for you. The gospel. That's the price we were meant to pay. But Christ came along and he died the death that we deserved. And he died the death that we were meant to pay for. And we often talk about that justifying death. Right? The power of the cross. How it's redeemed us. But I want to focus on something different. Jesus didn't just save us from the guilt of sin. Let me say that one more time. Jesus didn't just save us from the penalty and the guilt of sin. Jesus saved us from a life of disobedience. Jesus saved us from a life of disobedience. Amazing. Thank you, Pastor. No, no one's reacting? <laughs> Come on, you don't find this powerful? He saved us from a life of disobedience. I can see it's not really hitting home. Let me explain it then. Good thing I've prepared some more notes. Being ruler of your own life means living a life in disobedience to God. In other words, in rejection of his lordship. Okay? Let me say that one more time. Being the ruler of your own life Deciding for yourself what is good and evil. Choosing the restaurant you want to eat when you go to the food court without the help of the Holy Spirit. Choosing what clothes to buy. 
Choosing who to date. Choosing which company to join. Choosing what attitude that you want to have when you walk into FLM for worship. Choosing whether I'm going to go to camp or not. Choosing for yourself and deciding for yourself what is good and evil. Being the ruler of your own life means living a life in disobedience to God. It means living a life in rejection of God's lordship. That's what it is. Isn't that amazing? How powerful is that? You'll get it. You'll get it. Trust me. We're getting there. We're getting there. How did Jesus save us from a life of disobedience? How? What what did Jesus save us from? He saved us from a life of disobedience. That's what he saved us from. But how did he save us from a life of disobedience? He came as a human and he did the impossible. He lived an entire life, 33 and a half years, completely obedient to God's every single will. He was so obedient, in fact, that he died a death on a cross. Let's have a look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus undid the curse, the life of disobedience that came through Adam. By living a life of obedience. Let me say that one more time. I'm not sure if this is hitting home. Jesus undid the curse, the life of disobedience, by living a life of obedience. Jesus undid the curse of deciding for myself what is right and wrong. By coming and living a life as a human being, following every single will of the Father, he undid what Adam had done. And in therefore, he opened up a gateway and an opportunity that when we worship him as Lord, the righteousness that he obtained through his life of obedience is now available to us. The death is so important. It gets rid of the guilt of sin. Okay? But the life that Jesus lived was just as powerful because he gave us the opportunity to live a life of righteousness, to undo the curse of deciding for yourself what is right and wrong. Romans chapter 5, verse 19, it says this. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of this one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. We now have access to this life of righteousness. We now all have access to a life in right standing with God. When we believe in the work of Jesus. There's a a famous American theologian. His name is R.C. Sproul. And he said this about Jesus. Let's have a look at it. Jesus not only had to die for our sins, 
but he had to live for our righteousness. If all Jesus did was die for your sins, that would remove all of your guilt. And that would leave you sinless in the sight of God, but not righteous. Let me say that one more time. If all Jesus did was die for your sins, that would remove all your guilt. And that would leave you sinless in the sight of God, but not righteous in the sight of God. Have you guys all heard the story of this woman? She was an adulterous woman. And the Pharisees and the elders of the Jewish society, they brought this woman out into the public. Why? Because the laws of Moses commanded that if a woman goes around committing adultery, every man in that village is to pick up a stone and throw it at her until she dies. So they did this. But they did this in, the, in front of Jesus. So they dragged this woman in front of Jesus and they put her down and they said, Jesus, because they knew that Jesus was hanging out with prostitutes, adulterers, the, the scum of society. They wanted to test him. So they dragged this woman out and they lay her in front of Jesus. They all pick up a stone and says, the law of Moses commanded us to stone this woman to death. What shall we do? Jesus doesn't respond. He goes out, he draws a, a line in the sand. And many scholars say that he started writing down in the sand the sin of every man that was accusing this woman. We don't know exactly because the Bible doesn't say what Jesus was writing in the sand. But a lot of theologians, right, they uh, think that this is what Jesus was doing. And so the Bible records this from the oldest person there. They started dropping their stones and walking away until it was just the young people. They were the final ones to drop the stone and walk away. Jesus turns to this woman, this woman who's so broken, this woman who's on the verge of death, literally. And she's scarred and she's broken. She's been tormented by these men. And he turns to her and he says, woman, who is here to accuse you? Right? Your guilt, the penalty of death that you need to pay because of your sin, you don't need to pay it any longer. But he says something else to her. He said, go and sin no more. Hey guys, you know what's available for us today as Christians? To go above and beyond? When you align yourself with Christ, when we enter into the Lordship of Christ, we don't just have a life available where our sin and our guilt and our shame is no more. We actually have the opportunity to live a life of righteousness. His death, yes, it's amazing. It took my guilt away. It took away the penalty of death. But also what's available is living a, a rich, a robust, a full life where every moment we are in the will of God. James chapter 1 talks about um, that we can reach a state of complete maturity. You know, when I, was a, when I was a Christian in high school, I used to look at my spiritual mentors, right? These giants of the faith. I don't know if you guys know about Chong Song Moksanin, 
right? And look, I'm not trying to emphasize so much what he did because it's not about what he did. It's the attitude that he possessed. His actions were just merely a manifestation. His actions were merely just a reflection of the attitude of his heart. He used to sleep three hours a day in his suit in that office. If someone called, someone went to hospital, someone's got a headache, someone's feeling down, he'll get up, take the changlunimdu. Man, that was tough. It was tough to be a changlunimdu back then. Tough to be an elder. He'll wake these elders up and they'll go to this house and pray for this person. Right? Man, great spiritual mentors back when I was growing up. I'm not saying that there aren't any right now either. I'm sure there's great spiritual mentors right now as well. But my greatest hunger and desire was that I could live a life like that. And in James, it says that we can actually work ourselves into a place of complete maturity in Christ. It's available. Maybe it's just because I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I don't, I know, I don't look it. I don't look like a perfectionist. I'm like a closet perfectionist. Like I'm not fully out yet. Right? But maybe it's because I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Man, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it properly. I don't want to do this Christianity thing half-assed. If I want to do it, I want to I be righteous. I want to walk every step in the, in the will, willingness of God, in the willfulness of God. And I'm here to tell you, it's available. Christ unlocked the gate. When we, do you know why they say worship Jesus as Lord? It's because what he did on earth as a human, when we take him on board as Lord, we inherit everything he did on this earth. We inherit that power of righteousness. We inherit that willingness to be intimate with the Father. We inherit everything that Christ displayed while he was a human on this earth. I know you guys are excited on the inside. I know, I know. It's okay. We're just shy. We're just shy. Knowing how we are saved sheds a light on how we should live. In other words, knowing what we're saved from informs what we are saved for. Let me say that one more time. Knowing what we are saved from, a life of disobedience, informs what we are saved for, a life of obedience. Y'all are called to a life of obedience. We are called to a life of obedience. Isn't that exciting? We're saved from a life of disobedience for a life of complete obedience with Christ as my Lord. And that's why it says in Romans chapter 10 verse 9, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
I invite every single one of you here today to accept Christ as Lord, not just as Savior. Not just as the one that paid the price of death, the penalty that I was meant to pay. But I invite you to accept Him as Lord, to live a life of obedience to Him and Him alone. Let's not do this thing half-assed. If you can do it, let's do it properly. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to spend some time in prayer. How can we go above and beyond? How can we go above and beyond our, our fleshly desires and needs? How can we go above and beyond the, the finite limitations of our body and our mind? Repentance. Metanoia. Turning from your ways. This is the prayer that we're going to pray right now. We're going to repent. And this is how we're going to repent. This is the, the mindset that we're going to change in ourselves right now. Father, I confess that I suck at being the ruler of my own life. Is suck a too strong of a word? Let's confess, Father, I suck at being the ruler of my own life. Come and rule me, Lord. Come on. Don't tell me you're not frustrated. Don't tell me you don't wake up in the morning and you're not satisfied with your decisions. Don't tell me that there's some kind of lacking and an incompleteness in your life. Because that's a lie. And we cover that lie with you two. With going out, with distractions. Don't tell me that there's lacking. There's no lacking in your life. That's a lie. I know. I know. Because I go through it every day. Father, I confess that I suck at being a ruler of my own life. Come and be my Lord. Rule my life. Let's repent. Let's pray. Let's all pray together. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I confess in this time. We repent in this time, Lord Father. We come into alignment and into the agreement, Lord Father, with the truth that you are what's best for me. That you are the ruler of my life. The rightful owner. The rightful ruler of my life, Lord. Lord, we come into agreement with the truth. We come into agreement with the truth, Lord Father. And we desire a life of obedience, Lord. We repent in this time. We repent in this time of the thought that we thought we were better at ruling our lives. And we thought we were good at it. And we thought everything was fine with me at the helm. Lord, we confess. We confess that I was wrong. That I am wrong. That I am wrong, Lord. God, I am wrong. You need to be my Lord. You need to be my ruler. You need to be the one who steers this ship, who governs my life, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. 
Yes, Lord, I repent. I repent. I repent. I repent. I denounce the lie. I denounce the lie. I denounce the lie that I am any good, Lord Father. That I have any semblance of good, Lord Father, in ruling my own life. Lord, I denounce. I denounce the lie. I denounce the lie. I repent, Lord. Hey, hey. I, I love these messages, right, of conviction. These messages that challenge us to stretch ourselves, to go above and beyond what we're currently doing in our own faith walk. I love these messages. These are great messages. But there's a problem with some of these messages sometimes is that we misunderstand the message. We take it on board a little in an erroneous manner, in a, in a wrongful manner. And I think it's getting worse and worse in our society today. Why? Because you download an app and that's it. It's instantaneous. It's instantaneous. Get rich quick. Lose fat now. Oh man, I've been tricked many times. The kingdom of God doesn't work that way. God often uses agricultural metaphors. Why? Do you know the fastest growing tree, I believe it was an apple tree, takes three years from seed to fruit. And that's the fastest there's certain plants and certain fruit that take 13 years. Some take 100 years to flower. In fact, Abraham didn't even see his promise being fulfilled in his own lifetime. That's the way God works. He is not slow as some of us might think. As some of us might understand slowness. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, it says this, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in every single one of you, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And the promise is this. The promise is this. You might not see what you want to see in your lifetime. And you might not see the accomplishments or the success that you so desire in your lifetime or in one month or in one week. But I can guarantee you this, that as long as we hold on to the Lordship of Christ, as long as we hold on to the power of the Holy Spirit who comes as counselor and friend, that 
We're going to see Christ complete what needs to be completed in our lives. We're going to see it be completed. Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, verse 26, when the Father sends the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, he will teach you all things in my name and he will inspire you to remember every word that I've told you. Every example that I've shown you. Father, we are unable to live the life of obedience. So I call upon the Holy Spirit to teach me and remind me and counsel me. To govern what I think, what I speak and what I do in my life. I'm not asking you to be a pastor tomorrow. God's not asking you to sell everything and go to Africa next week. Although he might. But that's not the point. The point is a desire to accept Lord as Jesus as, Christ, as, as my Lord and to lean on and to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. So in this time, we're going to do a second prayer. We're going to ask, Holy Spirit, come. Speak in my life. And if that requires me to pray five minutes before I sleep, if that requires for me to read one more chapter this, this day, if that requires me to say, I love you to my parents, if that requires me to shake hands with my enemies, if that requires me to do something, Holy Spirit, help me. Give me the courage. Give me the faith. Give me the willingness, Lord. Let's ask the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, we need your help. We need your help, Lord. We need your help, Lord. We try to do this on our own. We take the revelation and we act like it's ours. We take the truth and we take your word and we take your revelation, Lord God, and we act like it's ours. We act like we own that truth. We own that revelation, Lord. We do not. We do not own that thing, Lord. You are the owner. And it is only meant to be unraveled. It is only meant to be worked out through the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we ask you right now, come and invade our minds. Come and invade our hearts. Come and strengthen our faith right now. Come and, Lord Father, expand my desire and my willingness, Lord, to worship you with every fiber of my body, Lord. difficulty understanding you as Lord. I'm having difficulty accepting you as my Lord. Father God, I'm having a hard time trying to live out your word. Lord, I'm having a difficult time living a life of obedience to you. And that's why you sent your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I ask in vain, possess me. Oh, Holy Spirit, in vain, possess me right now. Give me the willingness. Give me the faith, give me the belief, Lord. 
capacity it's not about what I can do for you Lord but what you've done for me Holy Spirit we ask you Holy Spirit to come and teach us to inspire us to help us remember what you have done for us we yield to you we submit to you Father we so desire we so hunger to live a life of righteousness. We can't do it on our own, Holy Spirit. We can't do it with our strength, Holy Spirit. Not with my will, not with my intellect, not with my faith. I need you, Holy Spirit. Feel me. Feel me, Lord. Oh, feel me, Lord. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we just pray for the the ministry of FLM, Lord God. Um, in in due season, you've led them um, to make a confession that they desire to go above and beyond. And you've taught us today for your word that that is available when we make Christ as Lord. And the Lordship of Christ can only be sustained through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So we ask in this time for a fresh impartation of your fire. For a fresh fire for a renewing of your spirit, Lord, in our lives. Thank you once again for your faithfulness. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.